This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Well, good morning. Our New Testament reading from Scripture this morning will come from the Gospel of John, and we'll be looking at chapter 14, beginning in verse 23. If you'd like to read along, that'll be John chapter 14, beginning in verse 23. And here we read, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That is our reading from the New Testament. And today's sermon text is found in Haggai as Pastor Aaron continues our study in uh, the prophet of Haggai. And so we'll be picking up today in chapter 1, verse 12. And here we read, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Hear the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. It's a joy to be with you, and just uh, as we prepare to dive in again into our Minor Prophets series, we're focused on Haggai, and we're looking at verses 12 through 15, but before we do that, let's take a a moment and just uh, pray to the Lord, shall we? Father, we come before you recognizing our desperate need of you. You are the giver of life, the sustainer of life, and when we have sinned in Adam, our original father of of humanity, Lord, that we recognize that with that sin that Adam sinned, we all sinned, and death entered the world. So not only, Lord, are you the giver of life and the sustainer of life, but you are our redeemer of life. And we're thankful for the gift of Jesus who entered this world, who died so that we could be saved. We're thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit in whom empowers us, brings conviction and reminds us of the truths of Scripture. 
And God, we pray that we would be built up in our faith, that we would be strengthened, Lord, as we desperately need you every hour. We pray, Lord, that we would be reminded this morning just of how awesome and wonderful you really are. And God, that our eyes would be moved from the things of this world to you and to the worship of you, the praise of you. Lord, there are many in our congregation who are struggling physically and emotionally and spiritually. And Lord, we pray that you would minister to each and every need. I pray, Lord, that you would use this hour that we spend together in the worship of you for your glory. Lord, I pray that as we gather here, you would minister to us through your word. Lord, protect my mouth that I would not say anything more nor less than you've given me to say. But God, that I would be faithful to your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. There are key moments in each of our lives, and those moments produce an opportunity for change. They change everything, that defining moment. Many of those moments uh, come in unique places. It could be you're out for a walk with your beloved and they drop to their knee and pull out a ring and therefore they, they make an invitation to be theirs forever. A proposal of marriage. That's a life-changing event. And from that moment forward, everything changes. Or how about going into the doctor's office and the doctor shares news that you weren't quite ready to hear. Or maybe the doctor simply offers a sharp warning that if you don't change your ways, your body and health will be greatly affected. These are two examples or three examples of great key moments in our lives. Something as great as a, a new marriage to something as serious as health concerns. These moments bring about change. And for the remnant of Judah, we see a few of those moments. We saw it back in Zephaniah when we explored the fact that they were going to have to leave their promised land and be in bondage. And that did occur under the Babylonians and the Persians. And for some 70 years, the people of God experienced exile, being away from their homeland, being prisoners of other nations. And then God promised them that he would send them out from that exile. And that's exactly what took place some 70 years later that they were able to return. But one of the most interesting things is that all of the people wanted to go back. Many had become very comfortable in the setting of Persia. And they got very comfortable with the new way in which they were living. And hence we're told a remnant went back. But that remnant that went back were very excited and were pursuing the highest good, the chief good, which was the worship of God. And they were set on building or rebuilding the temple of the Lord. But somehow they got distracted. They got distracted with the concerns of this life and gradually, according to verse 2, they came up with every excuse they could possibly put before God. It wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right setting. They didn't have enough materials. One excuse after another. Yet we're told in our text, the book of Haggai, that the Lord sent this prophet to call the people back to that highest good, that chief concern of the worship of the Lord, to get back and be busy rebuilding the temple. The question then becomes, how would they respond? How would the people respond to this 
prophet's message. I want to encourage you this morning, they respond appropriately. It doesn't happen often in the life of Judah, but here in our text, they respond appropriately. In fact, we're told that the message of Haggai went on for some 20-some days. Look at verse 1, where we're told that he, prophet Haggai, spoke from the first day of the month. If you drop all the way down to verse 15, you realize it's on the 24th day of the month that they actually respond to his message. And they get busy doing what they were meant to do, the chief concern, the greatest good, the rebuilding of the temple, the worshiping of the Lord. Some 23 days, Haggai preached. And guess what? Change took place. Change took place. This remnant changed. No longer were they distracted. Now we see a picture of true biblical obedience. Understand this, true biblical obedience is always rooted to responding to the Word of God. That's what we see in verse 12. Let's look at verse 12. The very end of the second half of verse 12, it says, They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. Notice they respond to the word. They respond to the message of Haggai as though it is the very message of God. The preaching of Haggai was received as though it was the preaching of God. They heard, they recognized, they responded. What exactly was the message that Haggai preached? Well, two times in verse 5 and verse 7, we're told specifically what he told them. Consider your ways. Examine yourself. Look at what you're up to. You came back here with high hopes of reestablishing the temple and the worship of the Lord, but somehow you drifted off course. Often that sounds like our own lives, doesn't it? We have high hopes. New year resolutions. New, new expectations. And yet somehow we've drifted off course. But this time is unique. This time is special because they respond to the voice of the Lord. And friends, let me tell you, this marks a huge change. It's important you really wrestle with how big a deal this is for Judah. See, there were many prophets that had come before Haggai. There were many prophets who came and called them to repentance that they just ignored. One of the early prophets was a man by the name of Jeremiah. Jeremiah in our Bible is known as a major prophet. It's not because he's more important than Haggai. It's just that his book is bigger. Isn't it interesting? You get called a major prophet because you write more. But here he, he gives a specific, clear perception of what the people of Judah were really like. In Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 21, we read this. This is Jeremiah speaking as he's speaking for the Lord. He says, I spoke to you in your prosperity. This is when you were on the other side of exile, when everything was going well before you were deported. I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not listen. This has been your way from your youth that you've not obeyed my voice. The foundation of who Judah is is a stubborn, stiff-necked, hard-nosed people that will not listen to the Lord. 
And yet here in our text, we're told that they heard and they responded with obedience. This is huge, monumental change. Real change. Because they were really listening. There's a return here in our text of real commitment. And this commitment isn't put off for another day. This commitment is immediate. See, what's interesting is Haggai exhorted the people. He called them to action. He reminded them why God had sent them back. And they received the word. They received the word of God through Haggai. Church, I I believe this this morning. This passage offers us real encouragement to hear the word and to respond to it. Real encouragement that it pleases God when we listen and we obey. And that's exactly what we see is the people hear the voice of God through the prophet and they respond in obedience. Church, let me ask you something personal. When's the last time something in God's word brought about real change in your life? When's the last time you were reading or you were sitting under the preaching or you were at a Bible study and you came to something in Scripture and you realized, my life doesn't look like that? And you began to see the conviction that begins inwardly begin to be expressed outwardly. When's the last time something in God's word brought real change in your life? See, I believe in the walk of a, of a faithful Christian, that should be a regular, regular event. We're constantly struggling with sin and temptation. That's why in our worship service, we have a, a moment in time where we pray together as a congregation for the forgiveness of sins and to be reminded of God's grace and forgiveness of sins. There's a constant need for change in our lives to be conformed more and more to the obedience of the Lord. And yet, we hear the preaching. We sit in Bible studies. We we do our daily reading. But how often does that really implement change in our lives? Church, I want to this morning look at the change in the process of how it came about. See, after Haggai had preached, and he preached... A pretty heavy message. Consider your ways. Look in the mirror. Reflect on who you are. Look at what you're up to. Examine yourself. Spend some time really figuring this out. I want you to see the response of the people in verse 12, just there at the end. And the people feared the Lord. The people feared the Lord. Sometimes we need to be shocked into obedience. Sometimes we need to be reminded how far we are off course. How our pride gets in the way, or our arrogance, or our expectations of the way things we think should be. But here in our text, it's so clear. The people responded, and it was a true response, a heavenly response, because they feared the Lord. See, the remnant responds with a holy, righteous fear. This fear is actually acknowledging God's authority. What they're ultimately doing is they're recognizing we're not in charge, you are, and we haven't been living accordingly. We've actually missed why we're here, what we're supposed to be doing, how we're supposed to be living. Church, how much could that be said about our lives? This isn't anything new. The 
people of Israel experienced this at Mount Sinai when God gave the law. The thundering and the lightning, it says they were fearful. They realized who was in charge. They recognized that they needed to submit to the authority of God, and that brings fear. See, with the preaching came conviction. And church, hear me this morning. Conviction of sin is one of the greatest gifts God can give you. Conviction of sin is one of the greatest gifts God can give you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31 says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It should be fearful. God is bigger than us. And I'm not just talking about size. He, the awe factor, is enormous. He's holy and perfect, righteous and just. To fall into the hands of the living God is a fearful thing. And for the people of Judah... The remnant who returned, they realized how far they had been off course because the message of the preacher was one calling them to consider their ways. And when they actually did that, there was fear. There was an immediate effect of conviction of sin. Fear moved in. And hear this this morning. Fear motivated change. Isn't that what happens oftentimes in the doctor's office? We don't really change until we really see how serious it is. Fear motivates change. People were corrected by God. This was the best way they could respond, and they did. They responded with fear, but a fear that was motivated to obedience. One of the things we need to understand about biblical change is that it does actually start in our mind. It starts in the understanding. If we really want to change, it's just not about feeling something. It's understanding something. I want you to see this from Scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus is walking with the men on the road to Emmaus. And this is what Jesus says. He be, it, be, it says in the text, And Jesus began with Moses and all the prophets teaching them. He interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, hear this, Did not our hearts burn within us while he was talking to us on the road? While he opened up the scriptures to us? See, the role of scripture is essential in changing. Because we need to understand what it is we're supposed to look like. Too often times we want to change without the the authority or the directive that has been given from Scripture. Real change is rooted in the Word of God. And real change occurs when we see how far we are adrift from what the Word of God says. And guess what? The people of Judah, the remnant, they responded appropriately. In our text this morning, we see that God's people not only hear God's voice, but they also fear. They fear properly, and therefore, they obey God's voice. See, in verse 12, it says that they not only heard, but they feared. And then it says they obeyed the very voice of the Lord, their God. They obeyed. Notice they didn't seek to negotiate with God. They didn't say, no, let's sit down, and we understand we're over here, and you're over here. Let's, let's find some common ground. We'll give a little. You give a little. We'll meet in the middle. 
The truth is, that's how many of us work out our faith. And let me tell you, God doesn't move. We move. It's important to understand that God is calling us for what is perfect and good and best. And that is what's set in the word of God. And the people knew this, and they heard this, they believed this, and they obeyed his voice completely. You know what they did? According to verse 8, they, they would have went up the hills to bring the wood to build the house. Why? So that God would be glorified, that God would take pleasure and find pleasure in what they were doing. Look at verse 8. They actually did what they were supposed to do, the very message from Haggai. They, they were obedient to it. And they didn't wait. So church, this morning, what we're really saying is truly, truly hearing and truly fearing also means to truly act in obedience. To truly hear the word of the Lord, to truly fear the Lord means to truly act in obedience towards the Lord. It's about doing the very thing God commands. And so I'm going to ask you the question this morning, are you? I mean, as we evaluate our lives, are we doing the very things God commands of us in the roles and the relationships and the positions he's placed us in? Are we doing the very things he has commanded us? At this point in the sermon, you sit and you think, wow, this is pretty heavy. They were commanded and they're told to examine themselves and and they do and they're fearful and, and then they have to go out and do. This is heavy stuff. But I want you to look at the rest of the passage in light of the grace of God. See, God not only commanded them through the word, he encouraged them through the word. Look at verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you. See, God's word is not only fulfilled with correction, but God's word is also filled with comfort. God's word is filled with assurance. Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, comes with this message, I am with you. The same preacher who called for obedience is now offering comfort. The same one who was speaking for the Lord, telling them what they needed to do, is now assuring them of God's presence. Now, I don't know about you, but I often think about the life of the prophet. How hard the prophet's life is, because most of their ministry is calling people to repentance. Most of their life is calling people back to the Lord. And what's interesting about the prophet here is he gets to share a positive message. You obeyed, and guess what? I wanted to assure you that in your fear and all your concern, God is with you. He's present with you. Friends, understand this. Haggai offers the greatest comfort of all. When when the words come from his lips, I am with you, declares the Lord, there is no sweeter good news. The greatest words of encouragement and comfort any of us could ever hear is that God is with us. Now you need to understand something. This isn't simply that he's omnipresent and he's everywhere. That's not what it means in the Hebrew here. What it actually means is that God is here relationally. 
God is here personally. This is covenantal language. The very center hope of the covenant was this message. I will be your God and you will be my people. We will be in relationship together. We will walk together in fidelity and I will be with you. Well, here's the message. They haven't been faithful. They haven't been about what they should have been about, which was the building of the temple. And the the craziest thing was the temple actually symbolized the presence of the Lord with them. But they neglected it. And yet what God was still telling them is this, I'm with you. I'm present with you. I'm present with you in in your sorrow. I'm present with you in your your struggles. I'm present with you in your hurts. Church, I don't know about you, but I know the people of this church have struggled in so many ways and are struggling. And to hear words like, I am with you in the midst of all that pain is so beautiful. It's so powerful to know that God is present with us. I mean, after all, wasn't that the promise of the shepherd in Psalm 23? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Or how about what Paul writes in Romans 8.31 when he says, if God is with us, or if God is for us, as he writes it, who can be against us? God is our mighty warrior. We just sang about it this morning. If God is with us, who therefore can be against us? Church, hear this this morning. Note the gentleness of God. Notice the compassion of God as he ministers to his people right in the midst of calling them back to obedience. He's saying, trust me, I'm right here. Trust me, I'm walking with you. Trust me, I have you. He's offering confidence to quiet their fear by his love and his presence. How many of you this morning need to know that? That God is with you, quieting your fears by his love and his presence. See, understand this. As a loving father, God comforts while he corrects. That's a beautiful thing about God. He comforts while he corrects. He encourages us to pursue always what is best. What is the chief good? What is the best? So let me ask you this morning. How have you experienced God's comfort in the midst of correction? That's an important question because God chastises, he corrects those whom he loves. No son of his will never go uncorrected. He will correct you. But how have you experienced his comfort in the midst of that correcting? How have you tasted and seen his presence in the midst of your fear? And see, it only gets better because not only is he present, God is at work stirring his people. Look at verses 14 and 15. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. It goes on, and the Lord stirred up Joshua, the high priest. And it goes on, it says, and the Lord stirred up the remnant of the people. And look at the very end of verse 14. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts. The chief blessing is the internal work God does in us. 
As he quiets our fears, he, he empowers us. He stirs in us. He rouses us up. He awakens the sleeper. He empowers them. He creates desire in them. One of the most ironic things is this is exactly what he did with Cyrus back in Ezra 1.1. It says he stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, to allow them to go back. And now what we're told is he's stirring up the people, the leaders for the work of this ministry. See, so understand this this morning, church. God's love empowers. God's love empowers. He produced in them a willingness and a desire to obey. 1 John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us. He empowers us to love, to love the right things and to love the right way. There's a change in attitude. There's now a, a mighty work of God happening in the people as they have a zeal for the Lord. It's a zeal that the disciples reflected on. As they kind of remembered the psalm talking about the Messiah, that zeal for his house would consume him. And they're reflecting on the days when Jesus would turn over the tables of the money changers in the temple because his house was to be a house of prayer. Zeal for the house was inward, inward working in them. God was stirring them. And the people here as they were rebuilding had that same zeal. But now their hands are busy rebuilding the house of the Lord. And notice this, God is calling all of them. He's not just calling the leaders. He's not just stirring Zerubbabel. He's not just stirring in the high priest. No, he's stirring in all of them. The remnant of the people were all stirred, and they were stirred for the working of God's will and the God's purpose. You know, what's interesting there is how remembrance this is to the tabernacle. You go back to when Moses was, was calling the people to be involved in what God desired of a tabernacle, which was a precursor to the temple as his glory would descend upon the people and be with them. Listen to what is said in Exodus 36, verse 2. It says, every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put a skill, everyone whose heart was stirred in him, came up to do the work. Zeal for the house of the Lord. Or how about Exodus 35, verse 29? All the men, all the women, all the people of the Lord whose heart were moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Their hearts were full of zeal for the Lord. There was this inward change because of what God was at work doing. And it came out in the building of the house of the Lord. People were actually working and serving, and there was joy. You can imagine just like the, the, the seven dwarfs, we whistle as we work. There was just joy in doing the work of the Lord. Church, let me ask you this morning, when's the last time you just experienced joy in serving the Lord? Picking up the phone to call somebody else and encourage them, going over somebody's house and just doing some project for them, coming to the church to teach a class for kids, When's the last time there was true joy? True joy serving the Lord. See, that's the picture of what's taking place here. Let me let you in on something. What we see in Haggai is revival. How many of us want revival for our country? How many of us want revival for our church? How many of you want revival for your home? This is what revival looks like. 
And notice it begins first with hearing the word of God. It carries on then as, as your heart is stirred and you have reverential fear and respect for the authority of God and you consider your ways and you repent. And you get back to work doing what it is that's the chief good, the highest good. And guess what? God's present. He's present with his people. Do you know when the church gathers together, he's here in a special way? Wherever two or three gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. That's that covenantal special way that's talked about here. As the people of God gather around the work of God, he's there special. You know what our work is, church? The worship of God. That's what we're to give our lives to, the worship of the Lord. And so we see God stirred them. As he does all of us, he, he stirs us in the house of the Lord. And they came, according to verse 15, and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. They were moved to do that which is the highest good. There was a desire to actually do and be about what God would have them to be about. I read this quote earlier this week, and it really struck me. It says, godly sorrow over sin is good. Godly sorrow over sin is good. It's even right, but it's never the end in itself. Hear that this morning. There's a lot of us who feel bad about our sin. We regret it. We struggle with it. But hear this. Godly sorrow over sin is good and right, but it's never an end in itself. Godly sorrow is always empowered by God and will always be accompanied by obedience. Isn't that beautiful? It's not just feeling bad. It's not just pouring more weight on it, more guilt and more shame. We get enough of that in the world. What God offers is true, lasting change. The ability to obey. An ability that comes from a changed heart. And this is the sign of our truly following him. I mean, our own confession of faith, Westminster in chapter 16, section 2 says this. Good works done in obedience to God's commands. Hear this. Good works done in obedience to God's commands, because of what God's word says are the fruit and evidence of a true and lively faith. You want your faith to be set on fire? Pursue what the word of God says. Don't try to negotiate with God. Submit and surrender to God. The confession goes on in that same chapter in section 3, and it says this, their abilities to do good works is not of themselves alone, but wholly from the Spirit of God. God empowers his people to do the very thing they were created to do, the worship of the Lord. Friends, it is a beautiful thing to see the compassion and the love of God in this text. When he cares for his people, he doesn't ever relent. He desires for you what is best, what is the chief good, the highest good. But the question is, how are we responding are we truly listening? Are we truly repenting? Are we truly obeying? That's a picture of what revival is. That's a picture of God's work in his people. And the joy and the pleasure it brings God is matched by the pleasure and the joy it brings his saints. There's no guilt and shame in obeying. There's only joy and contentment 
and peace. How many of you this morning are longing for peace? You've been searching for something so hard. You're pursuing it all the time, looking for contentment in a world that's just filled with emptiness. The contentment you seek, church, is found in God's word. The contentment you desire is found in truly hearing, in truly repenting, in truly obeying God's word. And here's the best part. God says, guess what? I'm with you. I'm holding you up. I'm present with you. And do you know this? There's never more clear example of this in all of Scripture than in John chapter 1, verses 14. Verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. He says, And the word became flesh, and he dwelt amongst us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son of the father. Hear this, full of truth and grace. What we have in this text is a clear directive that Jesus, being the true embodiment of the glory of God, the true temple, came flesh and dwelt amongst us. And Jesus, as being that, notice the traits he carries with him, grace and truth. Jesus never backs down on the truth. Jesus never negotiates on the truth. Jesus says the truth is the truth, and you need to come to the truth. But Jesus is full of grace. Jesus is full of mercy. Jesus is full of love. And that's the beauty of what we see in Christ. This perfect picture of what revival really looks like is one who is truly moved by the truth of God and experiences the love of God all the way through it. Church, let me ask you a final question. Is that you this morning? Do you know that presence of God, the presence of God found in the person and work of Jesus? Church, don't leave here this morning without truly knowing and experiencing that joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we Step away from Haggai, Lord. I just pray that our hearts are stirred to really listen, to really hear you. That, Lord, when we experience a little fear, that we wouldn't run from that or try to quelch that, but that we would respond to it appropriately through confession. That we would acknowledge who you are and who we are. That we would submit to your authority and bend our knee in honor of you. That we would confess our sin. And Lord, rather than just giving lip service, may our whole lives be turned. And Lord, we know we can't do this by ourselves. That This must be a work you do in us. So Lord, we pray for that zeal. We pray for that desire. We pray, we pray for that power. God, we thank you for the very fact that you are with us in the midst of all of this. You have not left us as orphans, but truly you are a loving and gracious Father. Thank you for your correction, but also, Lord, thank you for your comfort. We pray this in Jesus' name and God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.